Hi neighbor, I'm Jacob, and I'd like to welcome you to the Park Less Traveled Podcast, your exclusive source to learn about the less visited hidden gems of the National Park Service. Instead of rehashing facts about the over-publicized and over-visited parks like Yellowstone, the Statue of Liberty, and Arches, we'll only focus on parks that you may not have known were out there, and give you the rundown on fantastic national parks around the country that deserve more attention. As of the recording of this episode, there are a staggering 423 national parks in the United States, and more are added every year. If you're like me, parks like Yellowstone are hundreds of miles away, but you may be surprised to learn that there are many fascinating national parks in your own backyard. So what are you waiting for? Join me as we explore these national treasures. What will you discover in the park less traveled? Before we dive into this episode's parks, I just want to mention that this podcast has been made possible by a generous grant from Nature Valley through the National Park Conservation Association. This episode, we are going to talk about a very timely topic. Now that families are feeling more comfortable traveling as COVID-19 vaccines have become widely available, national parks around the country are being overloaded with tourists who have an itch to travel. Recent USA Today and CBS News articles cite that the big-name flagship national parks are seeing a 40-50% to increase in visitation compared to pre-COVID levels. And 50% of the nation's national park visitation is squeezed into only 23 of the country's 423 national parks. These most famous national parks are finding the tsunami of visitors to be a Herculean management challenge. How does the agency, tasked with balancing resource protection and public recreation, deal with the unprecedented numbers of visitors that are loving these parks to death? The record-breaking surge in visitation is leading to a host of problems, from hours-long traffic jams to overloaded campgrounds, extra stress on wildlife to increased search and rescues of lost hikers, and excess trash and litter to increase workloads for already overstretched park staff. To meet these unprecedented demands, the National Park Service has developed an arsenal of visitor management techniques that include required pre-reserved ticketed entry systems, park closures when they reach capacity limits, and reduced visitor services. Even so, reports of wait times up to four hours for park entry or for popular trails and vistas have become commonplace. That is, if you're even lucky enough to access these areas to begin with. So what else can be done to avoid the headache of overcrowding? The National Park Service has kick-started a couple of campaigns to ask visitors to help prevent problems associated with overcrowding before they occur. The first is the Plan Like a Park Ranger campaign, which includes 10 proactive tips to come prepared for your visit. These include 1. Have a plan and a backup plan. 2. Be patient with each other and with park staff. 3. Travel off the beaten path by visiting lesser-known parks and locations. 4. Make reservations. In some cases, they may be required. 5. Ask a ranger for help. 6. Explore the new National Park Service app. 7. Stay aware of your surroundings when taking photos. 8. View wildlife from safe distances. 9. Leave only footprints and keep the national parks better than you found them. And finally, 10. Know the rules about bringing your pets into the parks. Consider leaving your furry friend at home. The second campaign doesn't have a name yet, but it focuses more heavily on tip number three, visiting lesser known parks. If the public knows that there are 423 national parks in the country, 
lesser known and less visited national parks can become quality alternatives for their overcrowded peers. For our listeners in the East, our first park featured on this episode should be right up your alley. Although Shenandoah National Park has long been branded as the, quote, only close national park for those who live in the Mid-Atlantic, we here at the Park Less Traveled know that there are many more options in the area for our eastern friends to spend the weekend in the great outdoors. That is why we suggest visiting Catoctin Mountain Park near Thermont, Maryland instead. Known as the Little Shenandoah, Catoctin sees 1.1 million fewer guests each year than Shenandoah National Park. It's a great alternative for those living in the Mid-Atlantic region due to its comparable travel time for those living in the D.C. and Philadelphia areas. And avoiding the steep $30 vehicle entrance fee at Shenandoah is one of the best perks of visiting the fee-free Catoctin Park instead. When planning a visit to Catoctin, be aware that some facilities may be more rustic than the heavier-traveled Shenandoah. This is an added bonus for those who want to avoid the prospect of encountering glampers. Instead of resort-style lodges, expect vintage 1930s American chestnut and stone cabins constructed by the Works Progress Administration at historic Camp Misty Mount. Instead of campgrounds crowded with hundreds of monstrous RVs and their noisy electric generators, expect a smaller, quieter campground with tent pads, restrooms, showers, and an amphitheater at Owens Creek Campground. For those more adventurous and rugged visitors desiring full immersion in nature, the park also has two rustic Adirondack shelters available for those who are willing to take the moderate three-mile hike to the shelters. A variety of other dorm-style and camping options are available for large groups, retreats, and conferences. But all lodging and camping require advanced registration that can be made online at recreation.gov. Now, of course, This park is rather popular with hikers and vista seekers. With 25 miles of hiking and riding trails, planning is the key to curate your desired experience. The park is divided into two sections, east and west, of the Chestnut Picnic Ground. Trails on the west side offer a wilder feel, with greater chances to see wildlife, while the east side boasts trails with better scenic vistas. Must-see geologic formations are Chimney Rock, Wolf Rock, and Cunningham Falls. If you're someone who enjoys discovering the hidden gems of unique mountain culture history, make a point to visit the Owens Creek Sawmill, the charcoal-making exhibit, and the Blue Blazes Prohibition-era whiskey still. For National Park Service nerds, the history of Catoctin Mountain Park is one for the ages. Originally purchased by the federal government in 1936 as a demonstration project for how unproductive land could be transformed into a recreational area, the Catoctin Recreational Development Area was developed by the Works Progress Administration and the Civilian Conservation Corps during the New Deal. One of the recreational projects completed in 1939 was Camp High Catoctin, which became a family campground for federal employees. With a close proximity to Washington, D.C., Camp High Catoctin was selected as the new official presidential retreat. Specifically selected for its cool mountain air that was about 10 degrees cooler than that in D.C. After President Roosevelt's first visit in 1942, he immediately renamed the camp Shangri-La from the 1933 James Hilton novel Lost Horizon. After the war and President Roosevelt's death, President Truman elected to retain Camp Shangri-La as the official presidential retreat. In 1953, 
President Eisenhower renamed the camp after his grandson, and then became forever known as Camp David. Over the next seven decades, Camp David has played host to numerous events of national and global significance, including the Eisenhower-Khrushchev meetings during the Cold War, President Kennedy's discussions about the failed 1961 Bay of Pigs invasion meant to overthrow Fidel Castro in Cuba, President Carter's Camp David Accords, which became the longest-lasting modern Middle Eastern peace agreement, and countless visits from foreign dignitaries. Camp David still serves as the official presidential retreat within Catoctin Mountain Park, but don't expect to be able to take a tour or even catch a glimpse of its facilities. Due to necessary national security considerations, Camp David will not appear on any map of the park, nor will it be mentioned by park staff beyond a few books about its history available for purchase in the bookstore. Don't take this as a challenge to go off and find it on your own, unless you like meeting angry Secret Service agents in the woods. Camp David remains off-limits to the public. On a brighter note, the staff at Catoctin Mountain Park want everyone to see nature's full beauty when they visit. This park lets visitors who suffer from red-green colorblindness to borrow color correction glasses for free from the Park Visitor Center to experience all of the wonderful colors of nature. To learn more about this park's unique history or to plan your next visit to Catoctin Mountain Park, you can visit www.nps.gov backslash C-A-T-O or call 301-663-9388. And now a break for this episode's feature trivia question. Are you ready? When planning your next visit to a national park, remember that the devil's in the details. There are two national park units that have devils in their names. Which two parks are they? Need a hint? Both of these parks are national monuments. The two national monuments that have devils in their names are Devil's Post Pile National Monument in California and Devil's Tower National Monument in Wyoming. Devil's Tower was the first national monument designated under the Antiquities Act when President Theodore Roosevelt declared it so on September 24, 1906. There is some debate about whether Devil's Tower was named appropriately. The name dates back to 1875, when an interpreter on an expedition misinterpreted the native name to mean Bad God's Tower. There are many native names for this geologic feature, but the most common is Bear Lodge. In recent years, there have been a few unsuccessful movements to rename Devil's Tower because Bear Lodge National Monument would better reflect the original Native American cultural, historical, and religious significance of the area. Now for our friends out west, we know that you're probably feeling the greatest effects of crowds flooding into our most famous parks. I'd say that we have a hidden gem for you to consider, but in our second park featured in this episode, you're more likely to find fossilized bone instead. Visitors who are looking to visit places like Canyonlands National Park for its stunning vistas, deep water-carved canyons, and history of indigenous peoples should instead consider visiting Dinosaur National Monument in Colorado and Utah. I know, I know, you hear dinosaur in the name, and you think that you'll stumble upon Dr. Grant digging in the desert, waiting to be whisked away to Jurassic Park. But there is much more to this prehistoric treasure trove than its reptilian namesake. With half of the visitation of Canyonlands, 
Dinosaur provides you with a wide variety of recreational opportunities. For those looking for stunning canyon vistas, the most impressive is the view from Harper's Corner. A moderate one and a half mile hike with minimal elevation change will bring you to a stunning vista almost 2,500 feet above the Green River. You will be surrounded on three sides with breathtaking canyons and formations. This view will pay you back many times over for the investment of the short hike. If you have a high clearance vehicle, take the time to feel truly small and visit Echo Park. The first thing you'll notice upon arriving is its towering formation across the river known as Steamboat Rock. At about 600 feet tall, this towering monument to geology is twice as tall as the Statue of Liberty. To get an even closer view, you can raft down the Green River and paddle in the behemoth shadow. Rafting is one of the most popular activities at Dinosaur National Monument. With campsites strung along the canyon floor, both the Yamper River and Green River are destinations for those who enjoy the challenge of whitewater. Both rivers include sections that have Class 3 and Class 4 rapids. But don't worry, a multitude of expert commercial guide concessionaires are ready to help you build your rafting experience. Rafting trips are available that range from a few hours to up to five days. And some trips are even kid-friendly, allowing children as young as six to participate. In addition to guided floats, experienced visitors can obtain a permit for their own private rafting trips at recreation.gov, but must ensure their group's adherence to all of the park's equipment and safety requirements. But for those landlubbers who prefer to keep their feet dry, the park offers over 33 miles of hiking trails with a variety of difficulties. There are many Native American petroglyphs scattered throughout the park, accessible by roads and trail hiking. Off-trail hiking is permitted, even encouraged at Dinosaur, so visitors can drink in some of the park's more remote and spectacular scenery away from other tourists. Be sure to plan ahead. Hiking in the desert means that you should bring plenty of water and sun protection. Share your hiking plans and expected return time with a friend, and practice leave-no-trace principles. Pets are not allowed in the backcountry or on most trails in the park, so make sure you make arrangements for Fido before you strike off on your adventure. On top of the park's numerous riverside campgrounds for paddlers on multi-day trips, the park also has six dedicated sites around the park for families who enjoy camping in its own right. Be sure to make advanced reservations on recreation.gov to secure a spot in your desired location. Backcountry camping is also available with an appropriate permit. Oh, yeah, and the park has dinosaur fossils. No trip would be complete without a stop by the Cory Exhibit Hall. Boasting a collection of 1,500 dinosaur bones, the facility houses a variety of different species from the late Jurassic, an 80-foot-long mural, and the opportunity to touch real 149-million-year-old dinosaur fossils. It's enough to excite visitors of any age. Even if you're playing it cool, trying to convince others around you that you're only there because you wanted to bring your kids, I'm sure it won't be long before everyone sees through your facade as they witness your awe and fascination. And the added bonus of visiting Dinosaur National Monument instead of Canyonlands National Park is that the entrance fee is $5 cheaper per vehicle. If you're interested in walking among dinosaurs, you can plan your visit at www.nps.gov backslash D-I-N-O, or by calling 435-781-7700. Now before I go, I just want to briefly mention other parks you can substitute for famous overcrowded parks. 
So instead of Arches National Park, consider visiting the stunning vistas of Natural Bridges National Monument. Instead of Joshua Tree National Park, you can get the same desert experience and see Joshua Trees at Mojave National Preserve and Castle Mountains National Monument. And instead of Everglades National Park, visit Big Cypress National Preserve on its northern border for the same swampy tropical landscape and wildlife. Thank you for joining me at the Park Less Traveled. Please follow us on Facebook for more details about the parks that we discussed today. And if you visited these parks or have suggestions for future Parks Less Traveled, I'd love to hear from you on the page. But enough talk! Get out there and explore your Park Less Traveled. <laughs>